Hey, it's Kevin O'Connor. I've got some big news for you. The Mismatch is hosting its first ever live show in Los Angeles at the El Rey Theater on March 6th. Me and Chris Vernon are going to be there. I'm fired up about it. At the El Rey Theater, there's been performers like Bob Dylan and Kendrick Lamar and Rage Against the Machine and Licky Lee. I'm fired up. Get to be on that stage with my guy, Chris Vernon. We've been together since 2016 doing NBA podcasts, and now we're going to get to meet a lot of you who have listened to our show for so many years. We'll do a Q&A at the end. We might have some special guests, but we're definitely going to be talking basketball. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. Tickets are going fast, though, so be sure to head to com to get your tickets now. Doors are going to open at 7 p.m., and the show is going to be starting right at 8 o'clock. Let's go, baby. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and joining me once again is the Ringers, Jay Kyle. Man, what's up, Kyle? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Kev. I was telling you it's it's allergy season. I've been battling that, but uh, and we were trading our our like dorky growing up allergy ridden <laughs> stories. Yeah, this, this is the pre-show conversation <laughs> about uh, pollen allergies, dust allergies, and yeah. all that fun, exciting stuff. What's really exciting though, Kyle, is Tate Frazier. Our good friend is back with the Ringer. One Shining Podcast is back. It's pretty cool, man. It was nice to be on a pod with him and Bill Simmons. This I week. had FOMO, I man. I had serious FOMO. I was texting you. I was texting Tate. I was just like, uh, I was like, I just, I wish I could be a part of this college basketball conversation. This is the time of the year where the the spotlight is starting to kind of drift in the direction of the whole sports mm. world, you know. And and it's it's just, I can just kind of feel the energy rising but yeah i mean i didn't get to work with tate the first run around but i listened to their show back then so and i and i know tate and we talk and um about college and you know i'm excited just for him to come back to have another like blue blood person college basketball blue blood bill was bill correctly id'd he was like i think you and tate would have a lot in common and you'd like each other i was like little did you know we already talk all the time and we do have a lot in common him being a carolina guy but yeah he's he's good at what he does and I, i'm i'm super super pumped up to to uh for him to be back yeah I'm, I'm sure you and Tate will be doing some pods together either here on the ringers nba draft show or on one shining podcast that feed is back it's alive hopefully uh, during march madness he, you and Tate will be doing some podcasts together me and verno get a live show in la next week that i'm fired up about on monday march 6th bell right there that'll be a good time I'm sure the mismatch army. Do you guys have a name for your mismatch? You know, how, like Jim Rome has the clones. You know, do you mm-hmm. have like the, the the mismatchians? I don't know what's, what's no, nothing. The... <laughs> nothing's ever ever you know been born into the pod universe yet. Maybe next Monday something like that will happen. But there's got to be no. It's got to be natural, right? It's yes. got to be. Yeah. Are have you thought about like uh, what you're going to wear? Are you going to rock, rock rock the blazer again with the cowboy hat, the boots? Yeah, Is that yeah, your pro- live pro- show? <laughs> Probably the uh, the same outfit, just no boots, no cowboy hat, <laughs> which I did not wear last time, but it was highly <laughs> recommended that I do. Bolo tie. <laughs> I just think you should go all the way in, but personally, but uh, play, I, play a I like dress up, a role yeah. play on stage, just be a cowboy. 
I like Kevin O'Connor oil tycoon. Like, like I just feel like you're like crypto oil. Yeah, like uh, an oil tycoon. You, you would look like a, like an oil tycoon guy who like invested in crypto. That's what I feel like it would be. <laughs> what I'm in favor say? of it. At the live show, it looks like I was about to prepare taxes. Did somebody say that? I don't know if somebody said that. <laughs> that live show was fun, man. Yeah, that was, was a great time. That was a great time. Yeah, it was, it was fun to get, like, I never get to interact with I mean, obviously, I don't get to interact with jazz fans in that quantity in person. So that was that was a that was a great time. It was great meeting people. It was super fun. One of the highlights of that show in Salt Lake City for me was when we first got on stage. Well, you were already on. You were on with Logan Pryor, but then I came on stage and asked the crowd, jazz fans, like, do you want to tank or do you want to keep competing for the postseason? And granted, it's you know a sample size of Ringer fans who may have been brainwashed listening to years of me. <laughs> It's a variable. It's um, a variable. It's yeah. definitely a variable. The far majority of people wanted the Jazz to, you know, lose games and fall back into the lottery after all the fun they've had this year. The interesting thing right now with the lottery standings at this point of the season. So let's start off here, Kyle. The Rockets, Pistons, and Spurs—they're locked into the top three right now. I mean, like they're all all separated within a game and a half of each other. There's really no chance the Charlotte Hornets, who have won five in a row. Right now, they're four and a half back from them catch up. So Houston, Detroit, San Antonio, they're going to have the top three odds in, in some order. That's all, Of course, it's flattened there. But everybody's been talking about how tight the standings are in the Western Conference playoffs and even shuffling around in the East right now. How about the lottery standings? Like After Charlotte, you know, right now, they're probably locked in at four. Orlando at five. They're only up a game and a half on the sixth spot, only three and a half games separated between 10 and 11 with the Wizards and Blazers. They could slide down to 10 or 11 if they keep winning. They're, they're really trending up right now. And then between the sixth worst record, Indiana, and the 16th worst record, the aforementioned Utah Jazz, again, there's just three and a half games of separation. So four and a half total between five and 16, three and a half between six and 16, we're in a place right now where some of these teams could, you know, sneak into the play-in or they could sneak into top five, six, seven odds. And as we've talked about all season on this podcast, Kyle, the flattened lottery odds, you know, Rockets, Pistons, Spurs, there's nothing for them to gain. There's no 25% odds. Mm-hmm. But for everybody else with the flattened odds, you know, it's been ever since the first year of this with Zion, a team between the seventh or 11th best odds has moved up into the top four. And right now, we're at a place where over half the league could end up with a top four pick. That's what it feels like right now. Yeah, and the shakeup is, it's, I don't, I don't know. It seems like there's just such a, it's, it's muddled. The flattening of the odds in the play-in have like really muddled up that space in a way that I like personally, where it's not just a free fall. Like if, you, if you're out of the playoff race, it becomes clear what you need to do. It's just a free fall. Overall, I think that's a positive thing, honestly, don't you? Totally. No doubt about it. I mean, yeah. I think for, you know, just to stick with the Utah example there, they've, they're 31 and 32, and they've had a, a tremendous season. Lowry Markman's an all-star. Walker Kessler will be on an all-rookie team. They have a promising future, despite trading their two stars last summer. And I think for any Jazz fan who might experience, you know, disappointment if they make the play-in, it's kind of cool if they still make the play-in. Like, yeah. I think it's a great story and it's getting that experience for young guys. It's a good thing that your young talent is performing at a high level, that your rookie head coach, Will Hardy, has really maximized the roster that he was handed to him. Like, those are all positive signs for the future. And there's no guarantee you end up in the top four anyway. But for any of these teams that do miss the playoffs, like Toronto, you know, you come in with higher expectations and you think you're going to have a better year. And granted, they're trending up themselves, eight and two in their last 10. They still have the 14th worst record. They're still currently actually in the lottery. So if they don't make the play-in, that is. Um, but the reality is for a team like Toronto, if you have a skid at the end of the year and you're the 10th odds, you could still end up in the top four. There's there, there's less reason to bottom out. And there's also you know less disappointment if you barely miss out on the playoffs. I, I think it's overall a big win. And I think more than any other team, like right now, you know the Oklahoma City Thunder, they're in the interesting spot at this moment. They've lost four games in a row. Gildas Alexander is out with an injury. He's also in COVID protocols. Um, they're not tanking. 
You know, they're not outright tanking. Like I tweeted yesterday. Outright I, tanking. I, I, yeah. Okay. I, I tweeted a gif yesterday of uh, a little bicycle being chased by a tank with Victor Wembanyama on the bike and Sam Presti, you know, leading the tank. And Thunder fans got furious with me. Like, <laughs> we're not tanking. You're playing into this idea, this media narrative that we yeah. tank every year. And it's like, no, it's just, it's just a joke. But for Oklahoma City, aren't they the perfect example, Kyle? Like, great year. Could sneak into the plan. Great year if you miss out and you get lottery odds. Is the is the metaphor there that like Sam Presti's trying to run Wimbanyama over with a tank? There, I, I'm just trying to like what the <laughs> chasing tank, them it, down, baby. It, 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 I, I guess it works out. Yeah, if you put your brain in a certain space. But I, I think what it, what this has done is it has choked out um, some of the just the number of deserts there there are a few like sort of deserts of hope still in the league you know i mean like san antonio and houston and and charlotte obviously that like uh, or the pistons sorry are the, are the ones that are still wandering in a way that's like are we going somewhere is this going somewhere but for everybody else you get a situation where i think the nba has done a good job for all of their problems and in, uh, lately there's been a lot of problems that, uh, a lot of chatter about the legitimate problems that the nba has in terms of like you know grooming the next generation of fans how they handle media how they handle player rest things like that this one is a, is an interesting one because I think that they've found ways for fan bases to not feel so hopeless. Like, and in the, in the fact that they have something, and you and I have talked a little bit about this in the past, but like something to play for, something to feel good about. Maybe you get in the playing game. Maybe you have a Pelicans year where you feel good. And then you still also have the option to be a real player and legitimately acquire some talent, maybe even superstar talent in the draft. And that's the way for franchises and fan bases to stay more engaged, which I would say, I, I don't know if I could find some kind of correlation between like the numbers or ticket sales or jersey sales or just the overall vibe among fan bases, but um, I do think that it's had a positive effect. Like uh, Utah, on top of like the the good luck, the good fortune that they've had it's with, with the moves that they've made to put themselves in a position to like get ready for their future and do those types of things. Um, I, I, I think the play-in thing is just a thing for them to be excited about, but not, you know, be out of the mix when it comes to like having a chance to get another good player or, or multiple good players in the draft coming up. Totally. And, you know, as they did last year, granted Chet hasn't played, but Jalen Williams has been tremendous for them, constantly trending up throughout the season. I think this year's draft class is going to be similar in that sense. I mean, yes, you'd rather have the sixth pick or the seventh pick instead of the 12th or 13th pick. Do you feel like as you assess, you know, the the posts, Victor Wembenyama, Scoot Henderson, you know, top of the draft, the Thompson twins, Brandon Miller, after that top group, do you feel like it kind of is more of a, you know, to each their own type of draft class, Kyle, where some teams might have their preferences with an Anthony Black or a Cam Whitmore? You know, some people might like, you know, having Grady Dick at number seven on their board. Other people, you know, might feel otherwise. He's more like 16, 17, 18. Is it, is it the type of draft where even if you end up with the 12th pick, you might end up with a player who is six on your board? Uh, so basically, you're talking to kind of the depth of the, of yeah. the talent. Does, does, does yeah. it flatten out after that top point currently when you assess this draft class? I don't know if flatten is the word just because I do think that there are some potential upward spikes of potential. Like, uh, and, and we've, you know, you and I've gone on about this. Uh, where does, where does it flatten then? Is there a point? Do you think it, it flat? Well, let's see. Is there a point? I'm trying to look down through here. I'm thinking, you know, we both, Brandon Miller, who we'll talk more about, that's a really complex situation, obviously has a lot of upside. I still I still think Keontae has has a lot of upside, potentially even French star. Nick Smith, I think, does. Cam Whitmore does. Kaysen does. Anthony Black does. Jet Howard. I'm just kind of going line by line through this. Um, I would say probably agree or disagree with this, probably in the 12-ish range is where mm. it like, you know, I think it, there's a little bit of a shift. But I do think that there are probably one, two, three, four, five, six, six, six through eight guys, I think, that could like ascend up into that like fringe, maybe not super duper star, but like could be very good, you know, third banana, second banana. I don't, it's, uh, this I don't know. Do you agree with that? Like probably in that, I'd say there's probably six to eight guys that could get to that range. So flattening wise, around 12, 13, I don't know, 14. What do you think? Do you think it flattens? 
I think that's pretty fair around that point. I mean, I think it's fairly flat from like on my personal board, like from six to 12 ish. Right. I think that's, you know, you could shuffle those guys in different ways, depending on your team philosophy and how you want to build out. Um, And then I think it does flatten again around 12 ish, 13, 14 ish to 20. So we're describing tiers, basically. Yeah, it's more so, tiers. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I, I think it's that type of draft class where, yes, you'd obviously rather have a top pick. You get to have a greater choice of more available prospects. But I think for some of these teams who might, you know, make the play-in and then miss out and end up with the 13th or 12th pick, whatever it might be, there's still going to be good quality talent available, as we saw last year with with the Thunder selecting Jalen Williams. Brian Windhorst on ESPN wrote an interesting article with you know some stuff about Oklahoma City and how they targeted Chet Holmgren and how they targeted Jalen Williams. And he had a line in there. He says, the Thunder had tracked Jalen Williams for months, identifying him as a perfect player for the modern NBA, a two-way wing with long arms, above-average shooting with high leadership and character traits, the son of military parents. We were talking, you know, pretty recently about like identifying sleepers. Jalen Williams was one of those sleepers at one point. He was kind of a late riser out of Santa Clara. He was more of a second round pick, late first round pick, and boom, you know, then he becomes a late lottery pick as the process continues. What do you look for, Kyle, when it comes to players like a Jalen Williams who whether they go second round as a as a true sleeper or you know a diamond in, in in the rough right or whether it's somebody who rises up the rankings and becomes a lottery pick like Williams what are some of the qualities that you look for in those type of players um so some of this stuff is kind of i think through the public discourse draft twitter oft, often you know kind of brings these things up and points out these patterns that i think are legitimate um you're right jalen did flag on a lot of he did flag on some things here. Like, I, well, d- we'll just get to it. Like, in terms of wings that I kind of ID as maybe not players that can be the second side creators, like we've talked about, can be shooters, can be like two way defenders, you know, in that six five to six eight range. Jalen checked a lot of them. Like, you know, he's he, I think he measured at the combine at almost six foot six, had a seven foot two wingspan. Um, I like for guys to have like eight inch hands at, at minimum, you know, like I for that speaks to like ball control. Um, another thing too is that like grow, relate growth spurts. That's another thing that Jalen checked. You know, as we've said, ad nauseum, grew up as a point guard, and I think that's important because when guys grow up, carving the pathway of being a decision maker, having the ball in your hands, maybe, may, and that makes you think about like what Jalen was like when he was younger. Like when he say by the time he was eighteen years old, I forget when he actually sprung up to six foot six, but. You think about the skill set and the decision making kind of reps that he had grown accustomed to, um, and and just his learning curve, I think, was affected by that. So then you take that player who is maybe an okay player at like in that five eleven to six two range, you bump him up to six foot two, and that's a different player. Um, but for me, uh, I was going to say that like one of the statistical things that I use. This is a filter. I go in and try to find guys who use over twenty percent usage, over twenty percent assist uh, assist percentage about uh, a percent and a half steal percentage and shoots over 38% from three. Jalen flagged on that. And since 2008, uh, 118 college basketball players have flagged on that filter. And I counted just just from skimming the list, over 30 of them were NBA players. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean every single time. I, I guess the key here is just like, guys are going to come up on that list and you have to decide. We knew that going into the draft. You have to decide how confident you are that they have upside. And with Jalen Williams, I thought that he did. Um, I don't know what like what what goes into your kind of uh, criteria. I, sh- I shared with you some of mine. What what goes into it for you? There there are more things, but do you have any like stat filters that you kind of use to find sleepers when it comes to wings? So you've been using uh, Bart Torvik, right? Yeah. that's the one you're referencing right now. Who is is that, is that a person, Bart? <laughs> you should check it out. Bart Torvik has a really awesome independent <laughs> oh, I, I, college yeah, basketball yeah. analytics site. It's a that, great uh, site for team stats, too, not just players yeah. either. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, th- I think his filters do a great job flagging guys. But there, there are a few that came up this year that I think are interesting that I wanted to share with you. And I know that it kind of it kind of goes towards a person that you wanted to mention. Uh, Tavion Kinsey at Marshall, Kadari Richmond at Seton Hall, Isaiah Crawford at Louisiana Tech. Uh 
Jalen Slauson comes up on it if you lower it a little bit in the shooting. But Colby Jones, Xavier, is a player I think that is fitting this profile. Are you a believer in Colby Jones? Do you think that he's a similar kind of candidate to Jalen Williams? Do you think he fits that profile in in the upside sense? I don't believe in him as much as a shooter. Uh, yeah. as I did with Jalen Williams. I think with the way you saw Williams progress as a shooter at Santa Clara, and that's like one of the things you like to look for. Williams was a junior at Santa Clara. He shoots 40% on a lower volume as a junior after shooting low 30s his first two seasons, but he was regularly high 70% from the free throw line, over 80% from the free throw line as a junior, always had good touch around the basket. So I think, you know, with Colby Jones... He's shooting 39% from three this season, still below 70% from the free throw line. The shot looks better. You know, I, I think you feel some level of confidence when it comes to film versus statistics. Um, when it comes to his, when it comes to, you know, synergy stats, I like looking at floaters, you know. What, what is their percentage on layups and, and floaters, runners, as they label it, and synergy? And Colby Jones is terrific. You know, he's every year he's shot well on floaters and runners, and you watch him take those. Sometimes it's some of the, the labeling and synergy when you actually watch the clips. They count some hook shots from the post where he kind of drives in, ba- you know, backs down to the fender and throws up a hook shot. That's categorized as a floater, but same concept, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to touch. He's been good every year when it comes to those shots, you know, from the mid-range area. So maybe with him, then I start to wonder, is it is the sub-70% from the free throw line and the and the inconsistent per- percentages from three, is that due to mechanics? Is he a candidate as somebody who, with the right tweaks and the right shooting coach, can become a 75% free throw shooter and continue to shoot high 30s, you know, from behind the arc? I think Kobe Jones seems like a good candidate for that um, based off of the mixture of film study and, you know, statistics looking at his percentages from floater range uh, what do you think with him kyle when it comes to his jumper because that's the big thing with him just to be clear for colby jones anybody who doesn't know him from xavier you know he's more of a three and d projected guy a big guard he can handle the ball run some pick and roll for you he's not just a spot up shooter he's the yeah. type of guy who can move the ball you know plays within a good team concept and his defense is i mean that the dude gets hit in the face Every game, it feels like that guy like busts his ass on that end of the floor. So I have no questions about his defense or, or his ability to to cut and you know be a kind of a connective piece in the offense. It's about what level does his shot release? How, where do you land with Kobe Jones there, Kyle, as a sleeper type? I think in an uh, in like in a perfect world, if the things iron out, like the speed of his shot, if he gets a little steadier on ball against pressure and things like that, I think in in a perfect world, he kind of becomes a Delon Wright type guy. Um, who can go anywhere and just kind of plug in. And I think the reason this is so important is the way basketball has changed in terms of like the floor spreading and possessions being longer and you need to continue ball handling. Like uh, we said this, that like it's important that those guys need to be able to make some decisions. I think that like I'm not so much, I'm not so sure about like his dribble separation. Some of the things you said about like him getting into the middle when you were talking about the hook shots, were those like, closeouts where he turned it into a back to the basket possession or where they they didn't start as pure posts right or was it is that more of what it was like sometimes it might be like a like even a flash cut type of thing right yeah. where he kind of flashes to the middle of the floor receives the ball and you know goes into a post up style motion yeah it's kind of in that like from like 5 feet to 10 feet you're not going to shoot like a con- conventional straight up jump shot and i honestly i think like the physics of that i've thought a lot about that that like it makes more sense here. I, I'm arguing for the floater here against uh, a straw man that didn't ask me to, but like, because I'm very pro that move. But he like gets into the middle of the floor, and I do like those types of things. Um, I do think that his shot is going to need to raise up and speed up quite a bit. Um, he has he kind of shoots it in front of his face, but yeah, overall, I mean, I'm a little lower on him. I think I, I, I'm less of a believer, honestly. I, I just I think he needs to kind of demonstrate some sort of plus plus sort of or just plus not plus plus like some plus skill to to sort of translate. But uh, I wouldn't rule it out just because he has a solid foundation that's pretty well rounded, like you were saying. I don't see him becoming somebody who rises up into the lottery like Jalen Williams. Oh no, you know, no, like no, 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 William, no, no. Williams, you know, had so many of those qualities up and down the board that you're talking about when you mentioned, you know, the, some of the statistics you mentioned that you throw into your Bart Torvik. Uh, 
<laughs> How dare you mock Bart Torvik's name? I'm, I'm not mocking it. I'm just wondering, <laughs> is that his name? or Torvik, yes. yes it it yes. is his name? Okay. T-O-R-V-I-K. I'm promoting his site it's right a, now. It's yeah. a great site. It is. It's fantastic. Yeah. Like I said, it's very useful, not just for you know, prospects, you know, uh, analysis, but also the team stuff on there. The, you know, everything they have with the on-offs, uh, the advanced statistics, it's really, you know, it's kind of the, it's the best resource for college statistics, you know, that I've seen. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm really fascinated by, I'm really fascinated by how these guys hide for so long. You know, how is it? Like I, you guys were talking about like the ESPN top 100s last night. And it is fun to go year by year. On Bill's pod. Yes, on, on the mm-hmm. Simmons pod. And it was a great conversation that I thought was, it was, it's fun to talk about those things with people who look at the league through the NBA. They look at college through the NBA scope, which is what you said you yep. do too. That's what I do, uh, yeah. Which I think if you ripple that down to like the way these guys are being ranked, I think the issue is that, is that very thing that I think sometimes when these guys are getting ranked, and consensus, like consensus prospect, like rankings and evaluations coming out of high school, how much value do they really have? Honestly, if you think about it's like, tough, man, it is like if you think about we, we look, I look at 247 a lot. I posted one on there. I was looking at like the 2019 class and there's some interesting ones like Cole Anthony was over Tyrese Maxey and Matthew Hurt was over Precious Achua. Uh, and Folly Dante and Vernon Carey were both over on Yeka Kongwu. Scotty Lewis and RJ Hampton over Isaac Okoro. To me, there's a pattern there in the way that, like, if you're just watching high school games, and I think this can happen, is that, like, head-to-head competition between guys who maybe have athletic advantages or, um, you know, guys who maybe produce easy offense through transition, through just being stronger, through being faster. If you look at somebody like Jaden Hardy, why did Jaden Hardy fall so much from being like dominant against his peers at the high school level to the G League, you know, the, the what, why do you think that is and what do you think that exposed about him? I mean, I think with him, he sucked. <laughs> <laughs> he sucked, Kyle. <laughs> he wasn't ready to play against the, you know, the athleticism of grown men in the G League. Well, that's it. And, yeah. You know, and, and it's like he just was completely overmatched. You know, mentally and physically, he wasn't ready to read the game at a high level. He wasn't ready to adapt and do things differently than he had throughout his whole life where he could physically, you know, uh, just overwhelm high school talent. And suddenly he wasn't able to think the game at an elite level or overpower people or outquick them or do anything that he did at high school. And I mean, maybe he still works out. I still like Hardy. I still I had him yeah, initially, too. you know, top five entering the season and he. Ended up, I don't know where I had him, mid-first round I had him. And he goes 37 in the draft. Clearly, NBA teams did not have the same level of belief in him. Six foot four, combo guard. It's not like he's six seven, six eight. I mean, with Hardy, it's the type of thing where, you know, Keontae George might get off to a slow start in the NBA. You know, he could be have a similar type of path early on in his NBA career. Granted, we're talking about G League for Hardy. You know, Bronny James right now is making his decision between college or or G League. I think if he goes to the G League, it's maybe it's the right choice in terms of learning the game and improving and, and all that. But I think he'll get destroyed if yeah. he goes to the G League, much like Hardy did. And he's not the same level prospect as Hardy is either, especially as a ball handler. Um, so I think for some of these kids like that, that that needs to be factored in is seeing the struggles of a Jaden Hardy. Um, maybe he would have been better off going to college and having an easier level of competition physically. Yeah, I think it's just really hard to read into what you're watching if you're watching guys go head-to-head, peer-to-peer. I think uh, it's interesting, the thing about Bronny. I, I think Bronny's basketball IQ is probably higher than Hardy's at the same level totally at the same is. time. No but doubt. He just has different kind of physical tools. Bronny does definitely have a an elite basketball IQ. He did inherit that from his father. Like You can see that on the with the defensive instincts and the playmaking within the flow of the offense. It's just he, you know, he's shooting below 70% from the free throw line, low, below 35% from three. Yeah. And isn't like a dynamic ball handler. He's improved though, for sure. I, I, what do you think about, you know, we mentioned this on Bill's pod. What do you think about, as a quick aside here, what do you think about him being top 10 on Gavoni's 2024 mock draft? That surprised me. It felt a little premature, but also a projection in the sense that he has made improvements and the class does appear to be weaker 
I'm just curious about your thoughts. It makes me wonder if something else is afoot there. Like, I don't know. Is that a straight up eval? Is that straight up intel about evals that he is hearing? Is Or is it based on the thought that like, I don't know, if you think about how, what you would be agreeing to in signing Bronny in the top 10 in terms of like the first end of his contract versus, I, and the inevitable part of this is about like whether or not you end up with LeBron, you know, at that point. And then how old is LeBron when he's done playing, I I'm, I'm curious if you. And, and for if, what it's worth, Bronny, I got the Bronny LeBron thing. I feel like that quote has been kind of misinterpreted. LeBron said it in the last year of his career, he mm. will want to join with Bronny. Not he never he never said it will be the. I'll the, go where he gets drafted. Yes, kind of it okay. was, it'll be in the last year. And he also LeBron did say ever since then he'd ideally like to play with him, but sharing the court would be. Yeah. So he, he even kind of backed down from that initial statement since then. Anyway, that, that's beside the point. I think that's an important thing to clarify because I hear people say that wrong all the time. Uh, in terms of him being top 10, I mean, no, he's not top 10 right now. I, now, maybe he'll go to college and, and or go to the G League. Um, here's my thing, man. Is like you were talking about like people. I know LeVar Ball said he didn't want to send Lamelo to the G League because people would be teeing off on him all the time. I was just like, there are certain players that like, everybody's coming for you, man. Like, everybody's no going to be coming. Like, if, if he goes and plays in the in the Pac-10, Pac-12, I, I lost track of the name, but, like, if if he goes and plays in a major college conference, people are going to be every night, everywhere he goes, they're going to be yelling at him, they're going to be signs, people are going to be heckling at him, saying terrible things to him. You know, you can delay that as much as you want, but it's coming. And uh, I, I don't know... I'm actually kind of working on something about Bronny right now. So I'm, I'm going to sort of like crystallize my opinion on this, on him as a player, but um, he's an interesting one. But on the, on the, on the wing thing, uh, just to wrap it up, I, I think it's just, it's a matter of like delaying your, your exposure to that. And I think an advantage that players like Jalen Williams, I think Desmond Bain is sort of a better like size comp, maybe for Jaden Hardy, maybe different styles of players, but just, by being delayed, maybe they have an advantage of going somewhere where they're off the radar. They get a ton of reps to get better um, and they grow. And, you know, Jalen Williams obviously just had a lot of the tools and it was a right time, right right place type of situation. And we see this happen, like uh, we've talked about Halliburton was a guy who was off the radar, very skilled, didn't physically dominate anybody, but he just cultivated this really high basketball IQ and slowly but surely turned into the player that he is now. So it's always a fascinating thing to watch, man. Like the, where the what horse is ahead at 18 years old very, very frequently is not ahead at 22, 23. All right, Kyle, let's talk about my NBA draft guide rankings, which are going to be updating very soon, either late this week or early next week. It's March now. We're due for an update. We get conference tournaments coming up over this next week. Then March Madness happening. It's going to be a lot to discuss. So we got an update coming on the draft guide. We've been talking a little bit about the G League. I want to pivot here to one of the players currently in the G League that I'm moving into my top 25. He was outside the top 30 with the last update in January. Now he's in the top 25, CD Sissoko. He is trending way, way, way up in recent weeks this season. I have a comp for him in the guide. I don't feel excellent about it, but Jeff Green, shades of a Jeff Green type, long career in the NBA. He's had some great highs as a scorer. Sissoko is a tall wing who can play make, handle the ball a bit. Very good off-ball defender. You know, competitive on-ball. He's improved there. There was moments earlier in the season where he was getting roasted on ball, um, but he's improved a bit there. The scoring is more of like a secondary type of guy at 6'9", 6'10", but you know, he can attack closeouts, slash to the rim, pass a little bit, and he's shooting, you know, 38% on catch-and-shoot threes. I feel like there's a, a lot of, and when you talk about NBA skill, size, help defense, switchable versatility, he can handle and pass and it, shoot off the catch thus far this season, trending up. I have him, I think, 24 at the moment. You know, my board is fluid. It might change before we actually publish. But where are you at on C.D. Sissoko? I was going to say, uh, you forgot to to mention the most important character trait, player trait of his, and that is that he is from Saint-Maurice, France, which means mm -hmm. I would assume in the update that he's going to be top five for you, right? He, he very he's... well might be top five. <laughs> I, I do have a thing for the French. Um <laughs> 
Yeah, it will. <laughs> for for better or for worse, usually for worse in my draft history. I love it's your not, self-evaluation. That's my favorite evaluations you do, Kevin. That's, I love it. Uh, no, that, I think that's... It, re- it really is a weak weak spot in my evaluations. Like, it's not just Killian. <laughs> We're joking. And I think the other side of this, though, is that it is important, I think, to look back and be like, okay, I screwed that up. Okay, I screwed that up. And try to figure yeah. out why. Maybe it's as simple sometimes as, He's French, or there's just something mysterious <laughs> about the French, or there's something you overvalue, something like we were talking about the high school players. But no, I, I like... But for this, what it's worth, normally the misses are the players who pl- play in France. So it's that, it's that league. That, that's been a, a point of uh, difficulty and evaluation for me. We got to get you on the boots on the ground in France, get you the beret and just a bunch of stereotypical cliche French things that I'm going to say here and make French people mad. So we'll just skip all that. I would love to go to France. Yeah, I'd love to. You with the camera crew going over there, figuring things out. I think that would be great. But I I missed, by the way, on Luau as well. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask you about CD's size, because I feel like that's a little inconsistent for me, because I, I feel like I've seen any... You said 6'9", six, 6'10". Six, I've no, seen... Maybe 6'8". Six, I've seen as low as 6'6". Six, six. I'm kind of wondering what the, what the combine thing is going to reveal about him. It seems like it's all over the place, but... Yeah, he's you know. listed at 6'8", on uh, G League's website. Okay, okay. So, yeah, you were saying uh, also, I mean, his his birthday's coming up uh, April April 2nd, so he's a young guy. I, Happy the, birthday. The, well, hopefully that that message will reach him. The thing about him that I that I'm kind of leaning towards, he really attacks the basket physically really well. I like that. I like he engages contact, is not afraid of it. Like you said, that he was competitive. Um, I don't think he's athletically. If we're just we're not going to like nitpick the Jeff Green thing, but like I, I don't know if he's quite as explosive as Jeff is. What well, Jeff's still explosive, but um, he's. He is physical. I like his instincts as a help side defender. He can hit. I don't expect him to be like creating his shot from three. I think the things that you described, it just you you kind of start to describe like a toolsy. Honestly, it's there a lot. A lot of international players tend up tend to end up being these types of players. Is that they do a ton of things pretty well. But the plus thing that I like is I do like his downhill action like and i do think that the flashes of passing the ball out if he's going to be a consistent help defender make open threes like you said um you know that'll be a little different in the speed of the nba game but those things add up i don't know if i don't know about the star potential but i do think that he's definitely like a rotation potential player maybe even like a starter level player i mean where are you in terms of his like the tier of player in the NBA that he could end up like, is he a top 100 potential player, you, you know, or is he, where, where do you think he is? Maybe a top uh, 150, which we should expand to in the NBA rankings. Um, but that's, <laughs> it's a different discussion. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. To that. You set me up for that one. Uh, I really go, just, truthfully, we should go to 400. We on should our, rank, on our we should rank every player in the world non-professional or not we uh, should be we should the day after the draft be porting over every single draft guide profile into the nba rankings boom but that's a different discussion for another day in terms of sissoko i could definitely see him becoming a top 100 player on our top 100 rankings on the ringer someday because of like you said kyle like that downhill attacking he's not the the problem i have with my own jeff green shades of comparison is the fact that, yes, Jeff Green definitely a bit more explosive at his peak, um, but also Green didn't have the feel that Sissoko has as a, mm. as a passer. Like He had this pass, uh, I believe it was last week, or maybe it was a couple of nights ago, against Iowa. I was watching some of the assists, and he had this like crazy half-court bounce pass to a, a guy on the move cut into the basket in transition. You know, he has drives in the half court where he, you know, spins into tough touch, you know, floaters slash layups around the basket. He's got some feel in him. And I think with Sissoko, there, there's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's star upside. Um, I don't feel much confidence there, but I feel like there's, you know, star within his role upside. And those guys are insanely valuable when it comes to you building out a, a championship contender. And like with his, you know, upside for being six eight, you know, whatever he ends up being actually listed at six eight with versatility, you know, good instincts as a help defender, playmaking skill, the ability to tack downhill. The the big question we were talking about it with Colby Jones earlier, 
what level is his shot really? You know, this is the first year he shot as well as he is right now. Uh, that's that's going to be the the big big question with him. It is interesting with the ignite though. Like Sissoko, uh, he, he's been you know the guy that I've really you know been attracted to watching in recent weeks. Leonard Miller, I'm not super high on. I'm not uh, either. I'm not a big Leonard Miller guy. He's just stiff to me. Scoot Henderson, Scoot is like awesome still you know he's doing more of his thing you know ever since he came back in december 17 points per game seven assists to 3.4 turnovers but shooting only 29.7 percent from three 73.7 percent from the line he's had some real dud end game stretches uh, including against memphis last week um you know that's kind of been a thing for scoot at times it's just more of the same for scoot He's still the number two prospect in, on my big board. Um, you've talked throughout the year about how maybe you'd consider an Amen Thompson over him. Uh, what's your current evaluation of what we've seen with Scoot the past five, six weeks or so? Uh, the the Amen thing was something, yeah. I mean, you guys get to hear us talk about this stuff in real time. There was a moment where I was just thinking, man, I don't know. I think the thing, that, but the the shooting and there are a lot of questions that have kind of arose with uh, with Amen that we can talk about another time but the thing with Scoot that I think is sitting in the pit of my stomach that I'm worried about like you watch him out there and it's 100% correct i mean he looks like Champ Bailey playing point guard position like he 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 is Champ just, Bailey is a great physical comp that's he does. That's what comp. he looks like, yeah. dude. I always say. I always say my dad took me to see Kentucky play Georgia when I was a kid. It was probably like 1997. And I remember being like, Dad, who is that guy? And he was like, that is, my dad didn't know anything about football. He was, I'm sorry, Dad. But he was like, uh, that's Champ Bailey. I think it's their best player. Correct. Uh, but anyway, like Scoot has that sort of like eye-popping physicality. And it, like he very, very like strong center of gravity, very, very flexible, very fast, very explosive. The shooting thing just is sitting in my stomach and worrying me. And I guess it's a question of finding comparisons. And maybe this is something that we should talk about on another show in more detail or write about or something. Maybe even together, Kevin. Who knows? Mm. But like, figuring I'd love to out, co-write something. That'd be fun. Yeah, figuring out precedent for players like this and to gauge just how legitimate that kind of nausea is that I'm feeling. I'm uh, I'm worried about it. Um, but everything else I like. I like his poise with the ball. I think he's a leader. I think he's a motherfucker like we've talked about. I think he's he's very, very competitive, and I love that in players. I'm very unique in that take. So thinking about that, thinking about this thing that I'm having a hard time getting over the hump of and that I think you know warrants like further investigation, I mean, what do you, what do you think about the jumper, Kevin? Do you think that like just from the outset before we do a dive on something like that, well, how do you feel about his jumper? What, what's, what's keeping you from feeling that way? Or do you feel that way? Or just where, how, where are you in, in re- relation to where I'm feeling about this? It's what he said to me when I interviewed him in October. He said he loves Russell Westbrook. And I said, what do you love about Russell Westbrook? And he says, I love how high he jumps on his jumper. And Scoot, you watch him play. He definitely <sighs> loves Russell Westbrook for the good qualities and some of the not-so-good qualities where like he loves that. 17 18 foot pull up and he's sh- like earlier in the year scoot was shooting that closer to 50 percent. that's he's shot. shooting it right now at 41.7 percent. so i don't have the splits in front of me with what he's shooting since that very tiny six game early season sample but i'd imagine to go from 48 percent to 42 percent, you're shooting sub 40 percent on pull up two pointers right now he shoots 34 percent on pull up three pointers according to synergy sports um, these aren't horrible numbers. They're not Russ. He's better than that. He has better touch than Russ. Um, but I think with Scoot, stylistically, when you're talking about a smaller guard, and yes, he does, he is built like Champ Bailey. Um, yes, he is an excellent athlete. Um, but when you are talking about a smaller guard, I think it is very fair to question how important is it that that shot becomes highly efficient for him, you know, in comparison to everything else. Like he does get downhill. He can get to the basket. I think like he's not yet somebody who lives at the free throw line. I think he'll eventually be somebody who can, um, but maybe not, maybe not in part because what the way NBA defense is, and they're going to say, yeah, you're going to have to beat us by shooting scoot. They're going to give him a gas. basket. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's where I'm, 
that's where I, I have him too. I feel good about him at two, but I'm I'm not all the way locked in with him at number two, especially for some teams that already have guards. Like we talked about Indiana. Like Indi- if Indiana gets the number two pick, are they really taking Scoot Henderson? You know, when they have Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard coming off their bench, like they have like a lot of good guard ball handling talent. Never mind Buddy Heald with how well he fits in that backcourt. I, I don't know. I think there's certain teams where I wouldn't have Scoot number two, but that's complex for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing in his mid-range jumpers 41% still. Uh, 40. Well, let's see. dribble All dribble jumpers right now that are non-threes, I'm seeing 40. 41.7. Yeah, 41.7. I rounded so. up to 42 when I said it earlier. I think that's fair. That's not <laughs> that's not ridiculous to do. <laughs> I give you permission to do that. Um, you know, the other thing Fact too is... Check. <laughs> yeah, I think you could compare him to against other guys that are two-way players. It depends if if he's insistent on being like a heavy load Russ type player. The fact that he mentions Russ kind of gives me a panic attack. But um, like if I <laughs> if I'm I forgot I even remember you saying that. I don't know why I forgot in the moment mainly because I forget everything. But uh, if he's going to be like a he- like a really really strong two-way player, you could go and look at somebody like Drew Holiday. Like he's a little smaller than Drew, but like that's somebody too that like can impact the game at a high level, and you live with the other stuff. But he's not Drew on defense, right? But yeah, that's a thing. That's that's a big if. Those are a bunch of ifs right there. But you know if I I think where this where this conversation goes when you you talked about Amin, and I think this is a segue to something that else is that like there is another kind of thing looming over the draft right now that's a very serious, complex thing, um, and that is you know Brandon Miller. We're in this situation where we're watching this guy as a basketball player really answer questions that he had entering the season. Um, you, you've talked a lot about like him improving his rim finishing, him being like hyper-conscious of that and working on that. He's been flat out dominant as, as a shot creator off the bounce. Um, we've seen the flashes of playmaking. We've seen things that indicate that he could be a superstar, but then, you know, and in my mind, if I'm just thinking about talent, I honestly, I think I would rank his talent ahead of Scoots. Uh, honestly, most days of the week, if you talk about a guy that's that size with that kind of upside. Um, but it's really important, I think, that we clarify how serious the stuff is that's that's surrounding him. Um, do you want to like, well, how sh- do you want to jump really quick just so that we clarify? I, the, the case is out there. People have heard a lot about it. Brandon Miller was connected to a shooting that took the life uh, of, a, of a young woman, um, Jamea Janae Harris uh, and her boyfriend, and, and uh, Harris actually uh, lost her life in this shooting. Um, there are a lot of details that have come out. Alabama's um, athletic director went on the College Game Day podcast, I believe it was, to clarify mm-hmm. a lot of the... Because Brandon came with the car. He came initially with with the two players, Darius Miles, and uh, I believe his name is uh, Michael Davis, who who was actually the shooter. But Miles totally facilitated all the shooting and stuff like that. And and Miller, I guess the, the hazy thing is whether or not he knowing or unknowingly brought the murder weapon to the scene. Is that correct? As I understand it, that's the yeah, part. Yeah, I, I guess it's, you know, one of the, the text that was leaked out was, you know, Miles texting Miller to bring the joint, which, you know, meaning the gun that he needed it. And uh, Alabama as athletic director, I mentioned this on Bill Simmons podcast with, you know, him and Tate, we talked a bit about this, but, you know, the athletic director went on ESPN's college game day podcast and saying that text leaked, but all of the other texts have not, which was like just an hour's worth of, of miles texting Miller just to come pick him up. And I guess that text, according to the athletic director came just minutes before Miller's arrival, like, like from where he was to where the, you know, the scene, the crime scene was like, it, it just came as he was approaching. Um, to bring the gun so but obviously a lot of hazy details you know like there's stuff about him you know the car is blocking the exit for you know harris and her boyfriend's jeep but we don't know if that was an intentional you know parking job or if it was just the way they were positioned on the street and there is i guess miller had a dash cam on his car that's been reviewed by police um but we don't know all the details yet except for that he's being treated as a witness and not a suspect yeah, and for me, this is like, obviously, you start to get into, and teams are going to do this, you know, assessing assessing this situation, and I guess trying to make the most sober decision that they can regarding the serious subject matter. And, you know, you, you, you feel, 
how do you even put it? You feel just like ungrateful and untactful and um, it just feels wrong to even assess the quality of a basketball player versus the life. You know, I have a kid myself and, and when I read that, I was like really heartbroken and I'm heartbroken about like the way that it must make women feel that like this whole story kind of bubbled up from unwanted pursuing like that. That's that's what this bubbled up from. And it's all very um it is very just sad and sobering. And uh, the other thing too, for me, Kevin, I'll be honest with you, man, is that like, whenever I hear that, like potentially someone said, bring me your, bring me this gun. I just, there's such a cultural disconnect for me as a person who doesn't really like guns at all. And I never have. And if someone asked me to bring them a gun under any circumstances, I would just not be a part of that. So that part of it is really hard for me to compute. Um, I don't know, man, the brand, the Brandon Miller thing is, Obviously, it's it's an ongoing thing, and I guess we'll address it as as relevant details come out and uh, as it pertains to the draft. But I just want to communicate uh, my uh, just you know seriousness about about this in terms of like weighing the basketball part of it against the actual issue because I, I think it's it's really important that we just prioritize that this is a game, man. You know, it's just a game, and uh, I hope the truth all comes out. All right, Kyle, we're down the final stretch of the college basketball season here. Just a couple of games left for each team, and then conference tournaments begin. And, and right after that, man, March Madness coming right up in about two weeks. Um, it's going to be uh, Tate, Tate, Bill, and I on his pod were talking about contenders, sleeper contenders. Do you have any that come to mind off the top of your head as a team that, or who, I guess, who would be your pick today to win the tourney? Um. No, I was laughing. I was teasing Bill. I was just saying, like, Houston is legitimate. Like, Houston as a team, and you and I talked about this earlier in the year, um, that, like, they just defend, like, lunatics. Like, they just really, really, and they have multiple handlers. Bama, you know, I do think Bama's team construction, I don't, I don't know that they'll be able to defend to the level that, uh, that Houston will. I kind of feel like, and Tate and I agreed on this, and I think I texted him this the other day, just coincidentally, that like uh, I have this just sneaky feeling that Kansas is going to repeat. I've had I've had it for a while. We've talked about how they're like big wing creators. Um, I just think they have lineup flexibility. Um, I don't know. That's the team that I'm kind of keeping my eye on right now because they've gotten better over the course of the year too. What about you? Do you have a sleeper? In his uh, potential last game at home for Kansas, he was 0 for 7 last night. Yeah. Uh, Grady Dick was, but I still, I got him moving up into my top 10 in my updated draft guide rankings. Okay. Yeah. I feel like a safe NBA guy, but you know, it'll be interesting to see with guys like him, you know, with the NIL and all that, do you go back to school for another year, depending on what happens in the tournament and with next year's draft class being weaker, you could be a top five guy. A lot, a lot of decisions to be made for some of these, you know, mid to late lottery guys, I, I would think. Yeah. I think he'll probably just go ahead and come out. But uh, yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's the team I'm keeping an eye on. Also, I mean, UCLA potentially could make a run too. We've seen mm-hmm. we've seen how they have some experience and in some key places that could, that could make a big difference. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing. Hope you have a great rest of your week. 